Hello, good morning and welcome to all of you. Well, here we are in the middle of Lent and yet today is Mother's Day. Mother's Day. And all of us have reason to give thanks for mothers. If only for the simple fact that without a mother, none of us would be here today. But for one of our own, it's not just Mother's Day, it's her birthday. It's Muriel Simpson's birthday. And this Mother's Day is her first Mother's Day, not only as a mother, but as a new grandmother, and of course, as a birthday girl. So a big happy birthday to Muriel Simpson, and indeed to each and all of you. Who, well, If you happen to be having your birthday this week, our best wishes are with you all. It's good to be with you, friends, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Thank you for taking time to spend time with us as we together seek to spend time in the presence of God and to draw comfort and encouragement and strength from our prayers and our readings and our meditations. Margaret is now going to lead us all in a prayer of thanksgiving as we approach the throne of God. Let us pray. Loving Heavenly Father, it is good that you are with us in this new day and every day and that we are with you. It is good that you care for us and comfort us and love us in our daily lives. We thank you for the week now gone with all its joys and blessings, and we thank you for the help you gave us when we felt in need. On this Mothering Sunday, we want to express our sure and grateful thanks for all those who are and who have been special in our lives. For those who nurture, for those who protect, those who feed and clothe and care in a way that others come first and they come last. We know what sacrifices mothers and grandmothers and those who fill a caring role can make and we ask that gratitude should shower upon such folk while asking too that wisdom would always prevail in times of uncertainty. And Father, be present with us in this time together as we come to worship you, called to be your people, called to walk the way of Jesus. We come with the offering of ourselves and seeking your words of comfort and challenge. Living Jesus, we praise you because you show us that God is love, love which reaches to all people, love which does not count the cost of loving, love which never ends. Forgive us when we love ourselves and not you. We praise you because you are the way you are the way to God. You lived the way we want to live. You guide us on God's way of life. Forgive us when we take our own way and not yours. We praise you because you are the truth. You are the truth about God. You show us the truth about ourselves. You show us how to live as true human beings. Forgive us when we think we know better than your truth. We praise you because you are the life. You lived life perfectly, without sin. 
You give us the example for life. You help us to live our life to the full. Forgive us when we live for ourselves and not for you. Loving God, help us to respond to your promise and challenges of discipleship and renew us in your service. This we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Friends, you'll have heard me say over the last few weeks that Lent, Lent is a time in particular when we seek to feel our faith. Not so much to know what we believe, but rather to feel what we believe. So as you listen to the readings this morning, try to allow yourself to see the images and to feel the rhythm of the story as it leads your imagination. As you listen to the reading from Psalm 78, note how the writer talks about all of the different ways that the truth about God is made known to us and experienced by us. And when you listen to the reading from the Gospel of John, notice how John uses words to paint a picture that appeals to our senses and that, if we allow it, will draw us in to the beauty and the mystery of our faith. So Alison is now going to lead us in our first reading. Our first reading is taken from the book of Psalms, from Psalm 78, verses 1 to 7. O my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, what we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children, so that the next generation would know them even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. And now, friends, let's gather together before our Father to pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us for our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, now and forever. Amen. And now Alison is going to bring us a reading from the Gospel of John. Our first reading is taken from the book of Psalms, from Psalm 78, verses 1 to 7. O my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, what we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. 
We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children, so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. You know, Jesus, when he preached, often liked to repeat certain phrases. And one of those phrases was, he who has eyes to see, let him see. I want you to keep that phrase in mind as we go into this morning's lesson. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the story of Nicodemus that Alison read to us earlier from the Gospel of John. Nicodemus, who, by the way, is the patron saint of seekers, is a good man. But recently, it has felt like as it were, the existential ground of his faith was shaking beneath his feet. Why? Because he'd been listening to Jesus' preaching. And in the words and acts of Jesus, the old scripture that he has known and read since birth is coming alive in a strange and disturbing way. And he can't deny what he feels in the presence of Jesus. So, He decides one day to himself that he is going to go meet with Jesus for a one-on-one conversation. Now, I would imagine as a religious expert, Nicodemus would have assumed that perhaps he could keep the conversation with Jesus on equal terms. Perhaps he felt that afterwards he would go home with his questions answered and his life undisturbed and that he could go about his normal religious business. But in the course of the conversation, he finds that his questions have led him to a most vulnerable and disturbing place. A place with a very disturbing possibility of new life in old age. As he is sitting talking with Jesus, it feels as though to Nicodemus, like for all the world, there is an uncontrollable wind that is roaring through his soul. What's going on here? Jesus, what have you done with my religion? Grace will do that to you, friends. It will shatter your religious illusions and leave your safe religion in pieces. And if it does, don't bother trying to put it back together again. Nicodemus, as we learn, is quickly discovering that he is not in control of this encounter. What on earth are you talking about? He asked Jesus in desperation. You see, Jesus' language doesn't make sense So Nicodemus has resorted to literalism. How can I re-enter the womb, he asked. Literalism, by the way, is the last bastion of those who want to keep God in a religious box. Literalism is a way of, you like, keeping things safe on the page or even in the head, but seldom in the heart. And by the way, Nicodemus is not the first, nor the only person to ask this how question. When Jesus spoke to his apostles about them knowing the way that he was going, it was Thomas who asked, how can we know the way? And before Thomas, it was Mary who asked the angel Gabriel, how can this be since I am a virgin? And before Mary, there was Zachariah, John the Baptist's father, who asked the angel, how will I know that this is so? 
These are more than biblical stories about other people in other places and other times, friends. They are also our story. There comes a time in all our life with God when understanding and knowing, in a sense, gives way to the darkness of not knowing and not understanding. And in a strange, paradoxical way, the journey of faith is a journey through darkness. Nicodemus, in the course of his meeting with Jesus, quickly realizes that Jesus is not interested in safe religious conversations. Not then and not now. Then and now, Jesus is interested in transformed life. Then it was the transformation of Nicodemus's life. Now it is the transformation of your life and mine. So come on, let's look at the story and remember what I said about literalism and remember what Jesus said about having eyes to see. John tells us that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. I wonder if that is not in some way true of us, that all of us in some way come to Jesus by night. Some people say Nicodemus came at night because he was embarrassed to be seen with Jesus. Others, that it was simply a question of personal scheduling. I actually think that John's reference to the timing of this meeting has a much more subtle explanation, that he is referencing, if you like, the time in a way that a painter chooses a certain color to highlight a feature that informs the way that we see the whole picture. John is using the image of night in a particular way. He's using it, I believe, to highlight a certain condition, to draw our attention to a particular feature of a shared common experience. He uses this technique, by the way, again and again throughout his gospel. It's in John's gospel that Jesus says that the night is a time when no one can work. Now, is Jesus simply stating the obvious? Or is he saying something about our usual daytime activities that don't have the same power or meaning at night? And in fact, Elsewhere in John's Gospel, Jesus speaks of the night as a time when we stumble and cannot find our way forward because there is no light in us. John also uses the image of night to reveal a breakdown in the relationship between Jesus and Judas. He tells us that when Judas got up from the table to go to betray Jesus, it was night. It is during the hours of darkness just before sunrise that Peter denies Jesus. In other words, night is a color technique, if you like, that John uses to help us recognize those times when we find ourselves undone. When, like the apostles, as it were, we fish all night and catch nothing. When our efforts come to nothing and our nets are empty. The fact that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night is not a statement about his motive or his schedule. It's a description of Nicodemus and his life, a description that I believe fits all of us at one time or other. Night is John's way of highlighting 
that there is a daytime Nicodemus and a nighttime Nicodemus, just as there is a daytime Tony and a nighttime Tony, and a daytime you and a nighttime you. As a leading Pharisee, Nicodemus is schooled in the way of religion and of civic duty and of public status. In other words, by day, Nicodemus knows who he is. He has a public identity. He is a Pharisee, a person of status with a role in society and a reputation in the community. He knows and applies the law. People come to him for answers. In the daytime, Nicodemus fits in. He radiates security and power. But at night, Nicodemus is lost, confused. He cannot see. He cannot understand. Nothing makes sense. He is, as we say, in the dark. His work, his accomplishments, his reputation, his place in society no longer seem to provide the stability and certainty. In this nighttime encounter, everything has changed. Daytime certainties have given way to nighttime questions. How can these things be? He asked Jesus. By day, he is a dispenser of religious knowledge. By night, his nets come up empty. He is looking for something from Jesus that his daytime life cannot give him. We've all been there, and you may be there right now. By day, all is well. We live with a sense of certainty and security. We have place and purpose, meaning and direction. But at night... Everything is hidden. Darkness, it seems, reveals nothing. We stumble through the darkness, grasping for something to hold on to, to answers and explanations for our life and our living. Night so often feels like a time of vulnerability, a time of questions, of wrestling with our life and its meaning and direction. We are better at daytime living than nighttime living. We've been taught to live daytime lives. That is what our world values, encourages, and rewards. We want to be daytime people. That's why we spend our time seeking information and answers on which to build our reputation in order to gain the recognition and the approval that comes with all of that. In other words, daytime is the life that we create for ourselves. But when, like Nicodemus, we meet Jesus we discover that no matter how much we do and have, it's never going to help us enter the kingdom of God. No matter how much we have, it will always be less than what God wants us to have. That is the irony in this story. It is only when we realize this truth about ourselves that in a sense, we enter the nighttime of our lives. This kind of nighttime living is not fun. It's difficult, it's uncomfortable, and sometimes confusing. But that is what Lent is for. You know, that's why in some Christian churches, Lent begins with Christians being marked with ashes to remind us of the temporary nature of our time in the sun. Lent is not a time to focus on daytime living. Lent, in a sense, is our annual reminder that the nighttime life no matter how dark, is a place filled with the promise of new life, of full life, of the abundant life that Jesus promises. 
Nicodemus' story teaches us that night, the nighttime of life is not a situation to be resolved or a problem to be figured out or a question to be answered. Nicodemus' story teaches us that as difficult and as uncomfortable it may be, the nighttime of the soul is the womb in which we are reborn. In a sense, the discomforts of the nighttime are the contractions, if you like, by which we, like Nicodemus, are pushed out into a new life when we are reborn again. This nighttime birth changes everything about our daytime life. The second birth, if you like, gives meaning and completeness to our first birth. This rebirth, however, is the Spirit's work, not ours. We cannot birth ourselves. We can only feel and give way to the spiritual contractions in our soul. In his book, An Anthropologist on Mars, the neurologist Oliver Sacks tells a story about Virgil, a man who has been blind from early childhood. Now, when he was 50, Virgil underwent surgery and was given or given back the gift of sight. But as he and Dr. Sachs found out, having the physical capacity for sight is not the same as seeing. Virgil's first experiences with sight, says Sachs, were very confusing. He was able to make out colors and movements, but arranging them into a coherent picture was very difficult. And over time, Sachs tells us, Virgil learned to identify various objects, but his habits His behaviors were still those of a blind man. Sachs then makes this very telling observation. He says, One, in a sense, must die as a blind person in order to be born again as a seeing person. It's the interim, the limbo, that is so terrible. I think that's a great illustration of what I'm trying to get at when I speak about the night and the nighttime experience. To truly see Jesus and his truth and the truth that he tells us about God means more than observing what he did or said. It involves, as Sachs describes, a kind of rebirth. Friend, if you find yourself like Nicodemus, struggling in a nighttime meeting with Jesus, don't be in a hurry to leave the nighttime. Let yourself be reborn. Remember, all seeds are planted in the darkness of the soil before new life sprouts forth. Every baby is conceived and develops in the darkness of the womb before they emerge into the light of life. The contractions of the nighttime, the contractions of the nighttime of the soul, if you like, are in fact God reshaping, reforming, remolding you for new life and in a sense for new sight in the kingdom of God. God bless you all. And now, friends, Margaret is going to lead us in a prayer of intercession. This prayer featured in the March edition of the Church of Scotland magazine Life and Work. Always topical. Let us pray. Eternal love, at this Lenten time of testing and of vaccination, 
may we hear your words to Joshua. I command you to be determined and confident. Don't be afraid or discouraged, for I, the Lord your God, am with you wherever you go. You are in our self-isolating and exercising. You are in our working or volunteering, in our homeschooling and online learning, in our caring and coping with disability, in our worrying about job or money. You tell us to stay firm and resolute because of our trust in you to companion and empower us. You are in all our hospitals and health centres, in all care homes and all family homes, in all discussion and decision-making chambers, in all nurseries and educational establishments, in all local communities and shops, in all our public transport and emergency services. You tell us not to fear or lose hope, even if we are feeling overwhelmed because you are there in every situation working for our good. You are there in our anxieties and panics, in our feelings of hopelessness or lack of purpose, in our loneliness and grieving, because wherever we go in our heads, you are there whispering Christ's words. Come to me, all you who are tired from carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Lord God, you are in every part of our conflicted and unjust world. Help us to share knowledge and medicine. Lead us through this pandemic. Ever-present love, you are each one of your global children. So for all we pray, bless us and keep us, be gracious and look kindly on us. May your face shine upon all and give us peace, your peace. Amen. The scripture tells us that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Live in that steadfast love. Wherever you go, go knowing that the God so loved the world loves you. May the blessing of God the Father who created you, the love of God the Son who redeemed you, and the power of God the Holy Spirit who sustains you go with you all now and always. Amen.